Let's hear it for technology. Well, welcome to our uh, Christmas series. It's called Christmas Stories. Everybody say Christmas Stories. And the holidays are full of stories, aren't they? Right? Stories of Christmas past, Christmas present, Christmas future. We're not looking at that story today. Um, but they're full of all kinds of stories, of traditions. In fact, I don't know about you. Do you have things for you that it wouldn't be the holidays if you didn't have whatever it is that would complete that sentence? Um, for me, it's not the holidays if I don't have Danish butter cookies. Um, half of my side of the family is Danish, Denmark from background. So Danish butter cookies are a thing. And then the other half, uh, anybody chocolate crinkles in the house. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, it is the gooeyest chocolatey cookie covered in powdered sugar. Mm, yes. And so it wouldn't be the holidays with all of those things. Or maybe it's not necessarily food. Maybe it's experiences. For, for me, it wouldn't be the holidays if on Christmas Eve we didn't do a scavenger hunt present time. I don't know what to call it. It's just the Christmas Eve scavenger hunt. And basically, from the time I can remember, my family, we drew names. Everybody got one present on Christmas Eve, but you couldn't just get the present. You had to work for the present. And so our family would hide clues, and you had to have at least six clues hidden throughout the house and the present hidden. And so we would all gather around whoever was the finder, and it would take like an hour and a half to get through the four of us because our clues were terrible. Um... When we were small, especially, you know, and as we got better, it got more and more sophisticated. And I remember one year uh, we had the most fun because it was like all in rhymes and it was perfect. But finding that present and, and then everybody's watching you unwrap it and it just those moments. And we would end that with sitting down in the living room and reading from the gospel, Luke chapter two, we would read that Christmas birth story and then we would have family communion and those are traditions and experiences and things that come up that elicit stories about past Christmases and when we went to that one place and when our relatives got to come and participate in this. And remember how funny Aunt Cindy was doing the scavenger hunt because she, she, she couldn't figure it out and her clues didn't make any sense at all. And so she ended up just having to tell us where the gift was and you know, it was the gift that was hidden, like, you guys ever watch mob movies? And you know how they tape, like, stuff on the underside of the toilet tank? The gift was, like, taped to the underside. Anyway, it was awesome. Um, but inside of this big narrative of Christmas are these smaller stories that need exploring, and so... We're going to look at some characters. We're going to look at some narratives that are like sub-narratives to the big thing and, and what they have to inform us because they, they speak about these things in Advent. And in Advent, we say it's the three comings of Christ. And the three comings of Christ, basically, number one, I think this is going to be on the screen for you so. You can follow along. But number one, the first coming of Christ was the physical baby in Bethlehem in the flesh, right? That's the first coming of Christ. And the second coming of Christ is in us, in our flesh, in our hearts. That's where Christ is coming. And then 
The third one is at the end where the Christ is revealed in glory, making all things new and all things restored and all things right. And that's the trajectory. And so this Advent, it's a sense of hope and anticipation of what God can do in the flesh and in our hearts and ultimately with our world. So each week we're going to look at a sub-story, a character, and we're going to ask this question around the story What type of life do you want? What type of life do you want? This week's message is called Trust in the Dark. And we lit the trust candle. It's not traditionally called the trust candle. So if you look up names of Advent candles, you won't find trust. But that's what we're calling it. We lit the trust candle today. And trust is a tricky thing, isn't it? Trust is incredibly tricky. One of the things that signifies holidays in my household, and maybe you guys have seen this. Anybody watch all the Charlie Brown holiday specials? Like, it originally aired in 1965, and somehow that became a staple in our lives, and I don't know how it got there. But I, I just... I love those, and so we've actually added the great pumpkin. So we start at Halloween, and then we do the Thanksgiving, and then we do the Christmas one. And, um, and I just keep wondering how Charlie Brown always trusts Lucy to not pick up that football when she says, come on, Charlie Brown, kick the football. And every time he comes running, and what does she do? At the last minute, she picks up the football, and Charlie Brown goes flying. There's a trust that Charlie Brown has that's it's kind of incredible. He always trusts that she's going to leave it there. She wouldn't do this to me on a traditional holiday. I think that's the line, right? And then you get into the Christmas one, and who do they trust to lead the play and go get the tree? They trust Charlie Brown. Trust is a tricky thing. Ultimately, trust can only be given away by our actions. Does that make sense? The only way to trust is to trust. You can't earn it. I'm sure you can do things to make you less trustworthy. But the only way for you to actually trust someone is to simply trust them. So we're going to jump in this morning, to a story of trust. And I think that speaks to a lot of our emotion around the holidays. Do we trust our family to not go crazy when we gather? Do we trust that relationship to be okay? Do we trust finances to be there? Do we trust... Uh, there's a whole lot of just, I'm already sensing, like, just in those phrases, there's already some things that are being elicited in people. If, it's, if it is, can I get a head nod? Yeah. Okay. So we're going to jump in and explore a story of trust. Now, in the Christmas story, there's all kinds of characters, like Elizabeth and Zechariah and shepherds and, and, and uh, Herod and angels and Mary and Joseph and Simeon and Anna, and we could keep going on. But the character we're going to explore today is 
Mary. And we're going to read from Luke chapter 1. It'll be up on the screen, and uh, what we're going to do is we're going to read it in its entirety, and then we're going to go back through and look at some of it together. Is that okay? All right, so everybody follow along. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom there will be be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. This is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. How many of you have heard this story before? Right? You read it before, heard it before. It's pretty standard Christmas-ish story if you're not looking at the Santa Claus narrative and you're looking at the Jesus narrative, right? Um, and yet there's a lot going on here. So what we're going to do is we're just going to go all the way back to verse 26 there, Alex, if you'll click on 26, and we'll walk through it bit by bit together. Um, in verse 26, it says, in the sixth month, that's where it starts out, in the sixth month, And you might be thinking, in the sixth month of what? (laughs) Well, if you read just before it, the angel visits Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, who was barren and old. Okay? I'm sorry. Uh, That's just what the narrative says. It's not an indictment on her as a person. (laughs) Um, And yet, the angel comes and the Lord provides her a child. And so that's where it's referencing. So in the sixth month. Now, interestingly enough, the angel Gabriel, Gabriel, is a mashup of two words. Anytime in the scripture you see E-L, L, it's a word for God. Okay? And Gavri means strong man or champion or hero. So the champion of God. Right? That's why you ever heard, like, where it says archangel, like, with the top angel or whatever. The hero, Gabriel itself, means the hero or the champion of God is bringing this good news. Now, in Greek, there's not a word to differentiate a city from town or village, but Nazareth was not a metropolis. So when you read the word city, uh, don't misread that. It's a small village. It is um, on the edge, kind of, of Israel. 
and they are known for giving into the Romans. In fact, just outside Nazareth is a Roman legion training camp. And so they're seen as traitors. They're seen as uh, very low peasant people. And it's into that environment that this story is taking place. Let's uh, jump in verse 27. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Um, Anybody know what betrothed means? Lay it on me. Engaged, right? But in their culture, uh, engagement is way more than I gave you a ring and a promise. Right? When you were engaged or betrothed, there was actually a dowry um, that was paid So if you were the lady that was paid to your parents and there was an arrangement, an agreement, and a binding contract. And so Mary would have been very young, probably about 12 or 13. So we're talking about a young kid not really old enough to be in her own household yet. Can you imagine how scary this would be? As a 12 or 13-year-old girl. I'm not a girl, so I'm imagining it as a boy. It would still be scary. Right? I, I just, I'm, and that binding contract comes with legal consequences, which we'll get into later. Anybody know what the name Mary means, just for fun reference point? Mary is a derivative of uh, Miriam. So you have in the Old Testament, you have Moses who led the Israelites out of slavery. He had a sister named Miriam. Mary is a derivative of that, and it means beloved. It means beloved. This is very interesting to me. I just found that fun. Okay, so let's keep going. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Now, I don't know if a giant angel showed up at your house when you're 12 or 13 and said, Greetings, oh favored one. I mean, we don't really talk like that. But greetings, oh favored one. You're highly favored. Would you start freaking out? Because I'm fairly certain she started freaking out. There's a show that my kids watch. I don't remember what it's called, but the character in the show, every time there's a problem, she's like, and I'm totally freaking out. You know, like, that's how I imagine this to be. And, and so she's, she's greatly troubled, verse 29. She's greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what this sort of greeting might be. The anxiety level just rose past 10, right? What is this angel talking about? I'm just a kid from the wrong side of the tracks, All of a sudden, he tries to put her at ease. And the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of David, uh, of Jacob forever. And his kingdom And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Here's the thing. When an angel comes to you and says, you are highly favored, immediately does your hair stand up and say, what's the catch? 
Yeah? That's part of the reaction. That's a normal human reaction. When God says to his beloved, you're favored, you're chosen, something's going to happen out of you. You're going to be giving birth to a whole new reality that God has chosen you for. What's the catch? That's immediately our reaction. And I imagine the troubling experience that Mary is experiencing is actually the same thing that you and I hear every time we hear about the grace of God. Because we all, on some level, feel in our hearts that we're just the lowly kid from the wrong side of the tracks and we are not enough. So the idea of trusting this, where are the strings? What's the caveat? What's the catch? Lay it on me. Well, you're going to have a son. Maybe that is the catch. You're going to have a son. And it's interesting because when he talks about You'll conceive, and in your womb will bear a son. His name will be Jesus. He will be great, son of God, son of Lord of Lord God, son of the Most High. And on his throne, David, he's hearkening all the way back to an ancient prophecy in Isaiah, chapter seven, verse fourteen. And I believe we'll have it on the screen for you. It says this: Therefore. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God with us. Fully present. You know what's really cool? From that prophecy, do you know what goes on to say in the rest of chapter 7 and into chapter 9? It goes on to say that that um, that in this person, Emmanuel, he will bring all of Israel, all of the people struggling with faith. That's what Israel means, those who struggle with God, who wrestle with God. All of those who find themselves in faith, he will bring them to a land of rightness. He will usher in a kingdom of rightness where God's reigning and ruling will make everything right, where those who are oppressed will be upheld, where those who have seen violence will be restored, where those who have seen the taking will receive They describe this place as a land, wait for it, full of milk and honey. Which is the same thing that God promises the Israelites coming out of slavery way back with Moses and Miriam. That we would leave the dark places that we find ourselves in. We would leave the questioning of am I enough as a kid from the wrong side of the tracks, and we would step into a life flowing with milk and honey, which is a euphemism for a life full of God's presence and providing. How cool is that? Now, 
the angel says you're going to name him Jesus in Luke. In, in Matthew's version, we'll look at that next week, but it says Emmanuel. In Luke's version, it says Jesus. Jesus is a, a variation of the word Joshua, which means the Lord is salvation. The Lord is salvation. And I love this because as we get into the, those rest of those verses, the Son of the Most High, the Lord God, um, it's tapping into these ancient prophecies called the Messianic prophecies where God would make all things right. He would usher in a kingdom where God would rule and be benevolent and merciful and compassionate to each and every one of us, but not just leave us there, but raise us up. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, it says that this Messiah would be from the line of David. And listen to this from Psalm 89, 29. It's probably on the screen for you. It says, I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heavens. This declaration has no end. Can you imagine with me for a second? Can you just imagine with me for a second? A time where you could always trust what was being said. Always. What would that feel like? What would that, what would that be like? To trust God to make everything right. To trust God to be full of mercy and compassion, and grace. So if the first string attached is, what's the caveat? Like, what's the, what's the, what's the, you know, what's the strings attached to this promise here, Gabe? If that objection wasn't overcome enough with this information about who this child is going to be and what she's going to be pregnant with, she then goes to logistics don't we always have a second, like, well, if you got one thing, but how about this, right? We always go to a second. And so her second is logistics. And Mary said to the angel, verse 34, how can this be since I am a virgin? Let's get down to brass tacks, right? How can this be? Of course, the angel answers her. With this idea that God will provide a way in the darkest moments of our lives. So he says all these things. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then he tells her a story of what God is already doing with her cousin. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, the one who was called barren, She's in her sixth month. And then there's this line in verse 37. Alex, if you could put 37 on the screen. Everybody say it with me. For nothing will be impossible with God. Let's just repeat that one more time. For nothing will be impossible with God. I love this line. It's hard to trust. You know what the crazy thing is? This line is a direct pull from another ancient story going all the way back to the very beginning of God's chosen people. 
when God chose Abraham to be a father of nations, to build God's people from, to be his agency in the world, to be blessed by God in order to bless the rest of the world, to be God's presence of grace and compassion and understanding, to pull the whole of humanity forward. His wife, Sarah, was barren. And in fact, she's eavesdropping in on Abraham's and God's conversation when God makes this promise, and she laughs. She chuckles, and then God says, why is she chuckling? And then this is in Genesis eighteen fourteen, Is anything too hard for God? That's the line that they ask. Is anything too hard for God? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is a resounding no. So this line is a tie all the way back to that line where God is in the business of providing when there doesn't seem to be a way to be provided. Barren birth. Barren birth. Barren birth. See, this story is actually an old story tying together the idea that God will provide a way in the darkest moments. Nothing is impossible with God. And then verse 38, Mary says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Man. What a statement of trust. Everybody say, let it be. Try it one more time. Let it be. It's almost a release, isn't it? Let it be. What a statement of trust. Do you know what's at stake in that line when Mary says, yep. Go for it. I'm in. According to the law, all the way back in Deuteronomy, the fact that she was betrothed, she starts showing that she's with child. Not only does it bring shame on her and her family, but it brings shame on the royal line of David, her betrothed Joseph, right? And the law says in Deuteronomy that if she's found to be fooling around, this is Deuteronomy twenty-two, twenty-three, that she would be stoned to death. So you can imagine when you're saying, let it be, what's at stake is everything. What's at stake is my reputation. What's at stake is my future. What's at stake is my actual life. Now that's a bold statement then. It's not just a, yep, sounds good, no problem, we got it. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Bold statement of trust. Everything is at stake. In fact, later on, she has a song that she sings after she visits her cousin about what God is doing. And she says, in the future, all generations will call me blessed. Not because her name is just beloved, but because she is participating in the story that God has for all of humanity. You know, the only way to trust 
is to trust. The only way to trust is to trust. It's only given by our actions. I want to compare what we just read with another story at the end of Jesus' life that also involves Mary. When Jesus was up on the cross and he breathes his last, does anybody know the story of who goes and gets him? It's a man named Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea was a high-ranking Sanhedrin council member. We believe he's number two in charge. That's like saying he's pretty much like vice president or a cabinet member, right? He's that level of in, involved in government. He's accompanied by a man named Nicodemus. If you remember who Nicodemus was, Nicodemus was the man who visited Jesus at nighttime under the darkness. All the way back in John chapter 3. And he says, are you really who you say you are? And Jesus' response is, yeah, you got to be born again. And then there's a question of logistics, right? Our objections. How do I trust this? But listen to what these verses say. In Mark chapter 16, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went, everybody say that word with me, boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Let's flip it to that passage in, in John. Chapter 19. Next slide. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. So, Joseph of Arimathea takes down the body of Jesus. He's accompanied with Nicodemus. And they wrap him in cloths and they put him in the tomb. And who is there witnessing the entire thing? Mary. All of the questions surrounding who Jesus was going to be are brought back full circle. But what's really, really important for us to understand is that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were people who were closet followers of Christ. They wanted to believe that God was going to usher in a kingdom of milk and honey. They wanted to believe that God was a, a God who was gracious and compassionate and full of mercy where they didn't have to earn their standing with God by keeping the religious rules, nor were they going to achieve everything that they wanted to achieve through the government, but that God himself was going to make it right. They wanted to trust that. But they just couldn't get there. And I imagine that they were following Jesus' teachings and his miracles and all of the conversations, and they knew all those prophecies that were foretold. And when they finally saw what the people did to Jesus on the cross, I think they finally said, enough is enough. And so he went boldly to Pilate. Do you know what was at stake for these two prominent council members? Everything. Everything. And so Mary, 
faced with the death of Jesus, not yet with the reality of a resurrection, already trusted that this God had brought about a kingdom where there would be no end. It was born in Bethlehem in the flesh. It's born daily in our hearts. And it's born in the end when the glory of God is fully made known. Ben, why don't you guys come? I have a question for you. What do you hope God can do? What do you hope God can do? In the dark places of your life, in the dark places of our world, what do you need to trust God to do? Because the promise for God to be present in that darkness, the promise for God to be the restorer and redeemer of all things, that promise was there long, long, long And the same question posed to Mary is posed to you. Because what do the scriptures say about us? They say we're beloved. They say we're chosen. They say we're enough. The Spirit of God is in you. Now go. Bring out this kingdom and the fullness of that glory, bringing light to the darkest places of our world. Why do you think we partner with prisons and try to bring hope to single moms? Why do you think we're talking about Can you trust that God can be present in that broken relationship that you need restored? Maybe it's a son or daughter or parent. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a whatever that relationship looks like. What do we need to trust God to take care of in his providence with our finances? Because when we make the budget, it always seems to be tighter than it needs to be. Where is it that you need to trust? I don't know where that is. But I want to invite you this morning, if you've never put your trust in this God, the announcement to Mary is the announcement for you. Will you be pregnant? Will you be pregnant with hope? Will you be pregnant with God's presence? Will you trust God? And perhaps you've never put your trust in God. You've never started a relationship with Jesus that was based on trust. You, you may have started a relationship that was based on a transaction. Yes, I'll say I believe so that I can go to heaven someday. That's not really trust, is it? That's a transaction. We're talking about trust. And when you trust Guess what you'll find? Everything that you have been looking for was already given to you.
your beloved, chosen, and empowered. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, this morning, we're invited to trust. And I don't know. I don't know if I always can, right? Like, sometimes it's really difficult. Because that person's let me down repeatedly. And that system is a failure. And that person said that thing, and I've looked at the budget, and I can't necessarily trust what I can't see, or trust that the pattern is going to change, or trust, like, sometimes I just don't know. And yet, God, what I'm being called to today is to go boldly like Joseph, to step out and stop being a closet Christian, and stop following Jesus in the dark, but live into the hope that has been given to me. God, I want to be pregnant with your